It's six o'clock. Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. Thursday, October 12, 2017. Our hearts and prayers go out now to those people in California, as well as the Caribbean, whose lives have been upended and who are still waiting for help uh, in the Caribbean and where the help is just starting in California. Tonight we talk about discovery strategies in civil litigation and foreclosures in particular. Joining me tonight is Patricia Rodriguez, uh, who has appeared many times as a guest on our show, who is also an experienced litigator in California and whose experience, I think, carries over to both non-judicial and judicial states. I'm broadcasting live from Duval County, and this show is brought to you by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, Lending Lies, Amgar, and the Garfield Firm with offices in Florida. And this show is specially brought to you because of donations to the Living Lies blog from listeners like you. Thank you. And for those of you who are not contributors, we ask that you hit the donate button on the blog or call 202-838-6345, which is our main number and not the number to reach this show, and pledge whatever you think you can afford. If this show has value for you, then please make a contribution to help us continue helping you and all consumers. So tonight's show is sparked by a question I received this morning on what to do when you've already asked the right questions in discovery, but the other side refuses to respond, claiming privilege or privacy or proprietary information, or maybe just that you're not entitled to get that information, which is essentially a refusal to answer. First, some notes about the nature of discovery. If you are in litigation and you wish to demand discovery from the opposing party, then you can use what we call uh, discovery. If you are not in litigation, you can try to obtain information through a qualified written request, debt validation letter, and other statutory requests, Freedom of Information Act, and so forth, where... uh, Documents have been filed with government agencies. 
And there, in, in discovery, there are three main ways to demand information. First, questions that are called interrogatories. Second, inspection, and that's called request to produce. And generally, that means that they will produce the original documents, if that's what you've asked for, or copies of documents, if that's what you ask for, for inspection. And that's typically done through uh, uh, digital media now with links and so forth, where the physical documents are not uh, produced except where you've uh, demanded to see the original documentation, like an original note or an original assignment of mortgage and so forth. And the third is a request for admission, and those are uh, questions, in essence, that are designed to put certain issues to rest. So you might request them to admit that they don't have the note, and if they admit that, then that issue of whether they have it or they don't has been put to rest. Um, other issues may arise, but that one is put to rest. And if they don't answer within the 30 days or whatever your civil rules provide, then it's deemed admitted. Once admitted, the issue is no longer present. And there's a fourth way, which is through deposition or deposition ducis tecum, which is uh, the ducis tecum refers to appearing for deposition with documents. And that can get complicated because you don't get to choose who shows up for questioning under oath where a court reporter takes down everything that is said. When dealing with, the, with an opposing party who wishes to avoid or evade the response, there are two main routes, some leading to a, uh, perhaps a third route, that being an interlocutory appeal on a ruling concerning discovery. The first route uh, in dealing with an evasive response as an objection, in which case, uh, again, depending upon local rules here in Florida, it would be just uh, getting a date for a hearing in front of the judge and sending out a notice of hearing uh, on the uh, opposing party's objections to interrogatories or requests to produce or requests for admissions, et cetera. And the advantage in doing that is that theoretically the burden is on them to justify their objections. So you don't have to start off the hearing with telling the judge why you should be getting this. They, the other side has to justify why your question is objectionable. And so if you uh, deal with it as, a, as an objection, um, uh, you file a notice of hearing and that puts the burden on them to support their objections. The second route is to file a motion to compel, which can be used even if you have set them down for a hearing on their objections, uh, at least in Florida. 
uh, and again, I can't emphasize enough that um, uh, local rules differ, state rules differ, uh, and getting the advice of an attorney who is licensed in the jurisdiction in which you're litigating is really important. And that what you hear on this program is not a substitute for what that attorney will tell you. And the reason I like a motion to compel is that I think it takes, it allows you to take control of the narrative, even though it puts the burden on you to explain why the other side should give you the answers. I think that in reality, in foreclosure litigation, you're going to end up having to make the same arguments anyway, um, even if you just set it down for hearing on their objections. They'll come in with some case law, et cetera, um, and uh, state an argument, and the judge will look over at you saying, why is their argument wrong? So you're basically uh, in the same position, and that's why I favor the motion to compel. There are other lawyers who have contrary views to mine, but after going on 41 years of litigation, my conclusion is file the motion to compel. In both cases, you need to be prepared with case law, the actual applicable rules of civil procedure, local rules of the court, and any, a statu any statutes that apply to your defenses. In the case I reviewed this morning, the homeowner in an unlawful detainer action, which is like eviction, asked the opposition to produce two things that they said they were relying on in order to prove their case for unlawful detainer or, or eviction. The other side basically refused to respond, saying that the homeowner was not entitled to the discovery because the issues in the unlawful detainer were narrow. And what they meant by that is that this wasn't a judicial foreclosure and therefore you should uh, direct your discovery request strictly to uh, whether there was uh, a, a forced sale of the property in a non-judicial state. And uh, I, of course, that's a, think that's a ridiculous position for them to take, but they took it. And the reason that they do that kind of thing, by the way, is that it often works. Uh, number one, it works with pro se litigants. And number two, it works with lawyers who don't know how to litigate. And number three, it sometimes works even with the judge. So you've got to remember that while your opposition will will argue otherwise, it is universally accepted that the purpose of discovery is to get information that might lead to the discovery of admissible evidence. So the argument that you're on a fishing expedition is only a rephrasing of the definition of discovery, which is a fishing expedition. So anything that might lead to the discovery of admissible evidence is an appropriate area for discovery, and that is, in fact, the definition of discovery in one form or another. 
in all 50 states and the federal courts as well. In this case, the plaintiff in the unlawful detainer case was relying upon a power of attorney and a pooling and servicing agreement and the fact that a non-judicial forced sale had already occurred to establish that they had the title. And therefore, they had the right to possession of the property, which means that they had the right to kick out the homeowner. The defendant homeowner wants to see the power of attorney and the pooling and servicing agreement that the plaintiff is relying upon. The plaintiff refused. So if the defendant doesn't get that and similar information requested, he has no way to prove his defenses. An adverse ruling might be the right subject for what is called an interlocutory appeal, which means an appeal while the action is going on. And the reason why it might be the right subject for an interlocutory appeal is that, uh, and this, again, rules vary from state to state. It might be the, uh, the right subject for an interlocutory appeal because by ruling against all of your discovery, the court has cut off your ability to defend yourself, and the outcome is obvious. So by ruling against you in discovery, the judge would essentially be ruling that you have no right to prove your defenses, assuming you phrased your questions and your request for inspection and request for admissions correctly. Um, and in this case, the defenses included that the forced non-judicial sale was conducted for a party who was not a beneficiary under a, a, a deed of trust by a substitute trustee, where the substitute trustee was appointed by that non-beneficiary. Only a beneficiary under a deed of trust in a non-judicial state can appoint a trustee. So if a non-beneficiary files a notice of substitution of trustee, the original trustee is still there and the appointment of the substitute trustee is void or should be void or it is voidable. So while the appeal could wait to the end of the action and you just wait until the judgment is entered, that doesn't really help the homeowner to wait. Uh, and that's why I say that uh, the interlocutory appeal should be at least reviewed by somebody who knows what the rules are in your state. Uh, the outcome, like I said, is no longer in doubt. Uh, with a ruling eliminating discovery of the information that could lead to admissible evidence, uh, uh, the uh, uh, position of the party seeking unlawful uh, a judgment and unlawful detainer and possession of the property and therefore eviction, uh, the uh, 
the outcome uh, uh, is determined as soon as the judge rules negatively. Uh, but that would only be true if the uh, judge's order completely eliminated all your uh, relevant discovery requests. If there are other discovery requests that com could conceivably cover the issues uh, that were in the uh, discovery requests where the judge upheld the objections, then you might not have grounds to appeal and you should proceed with your discovery on the things that you're being allowed. Um, all these details are mind-boggling to lay people and even to many lawyers who lack experience in litigation. Here to talk with me about some of the issues we confront in discovery is Patricia Rodriguez, a frequent guest here who is an active litigator in California. Patricia, welcome to the show again. Hi, it's great to be here. I uh, always appreciate the opportunity to talk on these topics. Yeah, I mean, I think the most prevalent thing that you have to be prepared for is that once you send out these requests for admissions or requests for production of documents, they're going to object, you know, and it's going to be a lot of boilerplate objections. And you want to make sure, at least here in California, that you respond within a certain time period, generally 45 days, for a motion to compel. And in the interim, you make sure and comply with your meet and confer requirements so that you can follow up and get actual responses that include documents that you need. And then you have to parse through those documents and make sure that those documents are fully responsive and that they're everything that they're supposed to be turning over. Otherwise, uh, in the proper course of action is a motion to compel. Uh, so that is one major issue we see. The other thing is that when you're doing your depositions, you want to make sure and couple it with the request for production of documents again, and that way you can compare well, you know, the response they give you in your request for production of documents with the response they give you in your request for production of documents attached to your notice of deposition. Right. That's uh, what we call here the uh, uh, notice of deposition ducus tecum. So, right, exactly. So, um uh what what's your reading on judges who are confronted with discovery disputes in connection with uh, with foreclosure litigation well i think you know one of the determining factors like one of the things that will distinctively make a difference is whether or not um you're past the demur stage and you're at issue. Uh, even though we at times, and generally speaking, do the discovery even before the case is past the demur stage because that puts more pressure on the other side and because maybe you find something that can bolster your arguments at the demur stage, if you're past the demur stage and they've answered and you're headed on to trial day and they're, you know, forestalling discovery, I think a judge is very receptive to, you know, forcing them to not abuse the discovery process. On the other hand, if it's early on in the litigation and you're not past the demur stage or you're in federal court and you're not past the motion to dismiss by law, like by the by the federal's procedure, you're not really entitled to much discovery. So I think that definitely factors into where the judges come out on your pushing for discovery. You know, in Florida, when you file a lawsuit, you're allowed to uh, file discovery with the lawsuit, or 
you have to wait a period of time, I think it's 45 days, before you attempt any discovery. In, in California, which is a non-judicial state, Florida is judicial, um, the homeowner is always forced to file the lawsuit. And right. I'm wondering if the rules are the same where you can discovery to the um, uh, lawsuit seeking PRO. Well, you can file the lawsuit and the TRO in the beginning, but you have to wait 20 days until after you've served the lawsuit in order to file your request for, like, discovery, so your request for admissions, your form interrogatories, your special interrogatories, and your request for production of documents. When you're in federal court, you need to be past the scheduling conference in order to submit those same discovery requests. Right, so it's a little different than what we have here. Uh, yeah. Of course, the federal... The federal rules are the same all over, but uh, right. in, in Florida, when you file the suit, you can file your uh, uh, interrogatories, request for production, and uh, uh, request for admission. Uh, they have a little longer period to answer uh, if you do that, uh, but otherwise, a certain period of time before you can file those recovery requests. So the uh, uh, the basic uh, point here is that um, discovery is an opportunity to bring your narrative uh, in front of the judge, um, and as often as you can do that, you want to do that. You want to let the judge know that. Um, the uh, uh, the other side is relying. They said they were relying on a power of attorney, but they won't let you see it. They said they were relying on a pooling and servicing agreement, but they won't let uh, uh, let you see it. And their answer that you're just not entitled to get that information because of the context of this litigation is absurd um, uh, because your defense is, and that's why you have to go on with this and always be prepared with case law and all that stuff, your defense is that they are not the beneficiary, they never were the beneficiary, and the trustee has been substitute, who, who acted on the, the legal um, uh, on the notice of, of sale, on the notice of default, uh, didn't have a right to, to file either one of those because the new trustee was appointed by a non-beneficiary. So it goes to the issue of title in this uh, unlawful detainer action um, because the sale has occurred and title either has been issued or is about to be issued, but it's considered changed by the sale. Um, the effect of that is to create uh, an argument, if not a presumption, that the recipient of the title is now the title owner and that the homeowner is not. If the homeowner 
wants to contest that, uh, and it has not already been ruled upon, uh, the, the issue uh, has not already been ruled upon in, uh, in a final uh, judgment, uh, the homeowner is, uh, in most non-judicial states, entirely within his rights to say the title that you say that you got um, is void or is voidable or it should be vacated for this or that reason. So you, you need to be prepared in this ground war um, uh, to get past, like Patricia said, you have to get past the demerit or for those in other states, a motion to dismiss. Um, you have to get past the objections to discovery. It's only after you present a credible threat to the opposition that you're going to see some real movement on modification or some type of settlement that may be appealing to you. Now, remember that uh, almost all of these cases, uh, with some exceptions, uh, end up either with a judgment for the so-called trust or the bank or whatever, or in a modification. Now, I know why, you know, modification is not should not be the answer since what they're really doing is they're changing the uh, the documents so that the new creditor is the servicing company or a trustee for a trust that doesn't exist. But the fact remains that that's what's going on and not everything in the legal system is fair or right. Uh, and you have to uh, accept the way things are going before you can contest them and figure out where the weaknesses are. So, the it's important that you present a real tough battle for the other side on the issue of discovery uh, and that you pursue discovery unless you've got a particular strategy in a particular case where you feel that discovery is only going to allow the other side to prepare for what your defense will be and thus give them an opportunity to change documents or change their strategy and uh, uh, eliminate your uh, prospective defenses. Um, in the end, I think that what everyone should keep in mind in discovery and in, in litigation and foreclosure matters is that for the most part, and I mean the vast, vast, vast majority of cases, the original note uh, doesn't exist. It was destroyed. In most cases, there is no creditor identified, and so the right to enforce the note or the mortgage or whatever uh, on behalf of the creditor 
cannot be proven without identification of the creditor and showing that that creditor gave that authority to the, the party who is uh, uh, pursuing the foreclosure. And in the foreclosure, it's frequently a trust, and the trust was unfunded and probably doesn't exist, and that's why they say they're only the holder instead of the owner. So I guess we're running out of time here. The, the point is you want to conduct discovery and be willing to fight for your rights to get clear answers to your interrogatories and clear responses to your requests for production and requests for admission. Uh, Patricia, I only got you on here for a few moments. I'm sorry. Um, we will uh, take this up again, uh, this and other subjects, um, uh, another time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice and visit our blog daily at The Living Lines Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the team at Living Lies, or the law firm, go to www.livinglies.wordpress.com or call 520-405-1688. The opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and should not be attributed to any other person or entity.